Good morning, everyone. It is great to be here. Happy Thanksgiving week. I'm so excited that it's here already. Maybe not excited for the weather that's to come, but very excited for uh, the season that we find ourselves in. Uh, my name is Eric, and I want to say a warm welcome to everyone that is in the room with us today. Also want to say welcome to anyone that may be joining us live online right now, or anyone watching or listening later on in the week. And a special welcome in particular uh, for any guests that we have with us today. We have prayed for you this week, and we really want this to be a very low-pressure environment for you. So we developed a few avenues to serve you and answer any questions that you may have. In fact, the next few moments are primarily for you, our guests. So one way we hope to serve you is by connecting with you. And we'd love for you to share your information with us. I know that kind of sounds sketchy at first, uh, but if you track with me, uh, one of the reasons we love for you to do that is so that we can get feedback from you and serve you any way that we can. Um, anyone, not just guests, can update their info or be added to that email list. And there are two ways to do that. First way to do that, is by hard copy. You can fill out the info card in the pocket of the chair in front of you. And if you do fill that out, you can put that in the offering box, box excuse me, <laughs> in the back uh, as you make your way out. The second way, though, is electronically. And if you'd like to complete an info card that way, you can do so on the Next Steps page of our website or by using the version app. Now, the instructions on how to use that app are up on the screen right now. The app is super useful, the Bible app or the version app, uh, in so many ways throughout our gathering. You can follow along. You can take notes of your own. Uh, you can even give online uh, through the app if you so choose. You can also make Centerway your church, uh, in quotes, um, to connect with people and keep up with the reading plans and so on and so forth. Um, I know that I already mentioned giving through the app. And of course, we don't expect our regular, uh, our guests, excuse me, to give by any means. But if you do attend regularly and you prefer not to use the app, you can use the envelope in front of you uh, and place it in the Centerway offering box, or you can give by going to the Give tab of our website. Now, today is week nine, and I can't believe it. Week nine of our series, Being Built, We've been going through the first seven chapters of the book of Nehemiah, and in the back there are free Nehemiah journals for you. Um, after Advent, we'll be returning to Nehemiah in January, so if you don't have a Nehemiah journal, feel free to grab one of those. Um, if you're watching online and you would like one, please email us and we will for sure send you one. As always, we'll have resources uh, for this series. You can connect and engage throughout the week. We have wallpapers, Spotify playlists, social media channels. We also have a Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotional that you can subscribe to on our website or by using one of those info cards in front of you. So please visit the messages page of our website to access those resources and more. If you're looking to take a next step uh, in your journey with Jesus, you can visit the Next Steps area in the back of our room uh, or the, that page of our website. And there are so many ways to continue to learn to follow Jesus. We'd love to help you in that journey. Now, one particular note for our online family today. Uh, we'll be taking part in communion here in the room today. So if you would like to participate, you can grab some bread, crackers, juice, uh, really emblems to symbolize Jesus's body and blood so that you can take communion with us after the message. 
Now, we have a lot of exciting things coming up in our calendar. This seems like it's a pretty busy time of year, uh, but it's filled with incredibly good things. And so uh, if you check out the calendar page of our website for upcoming events and activities, that would be great. There are ways to gather for kids and for students and for adults, something for everybody here for sure. Uh, Two all-church opportunities that I'm going to point out, first of which is December 1st, we're going to be having an Advent gathering. Uh, We're going to be spending time worshiping, waiting, praying. It's going to be an incredible time in the Lord's presence. We would encourage you to be a part of that. Also on December 20th is our Christmas gathering and more information to come, but put that on your calendar. You won't want to miss it. Again, check out the calendar page for more information. Now, I'm excited to share this part. We are so grateful to be part of such an incredibly generous church. And we've talked all throughout this series about uh, being built so that God can use us to be open-handed with what he has asked us to give. And today is going to be a tangible opportunity for us to do that. Uh, in two different ways. The first of which is today is our final day for your packed boxes for Operation Christmas Child. And I had the privilege of being out in the lobby as you came in and handed your boxes in today, becoming a pretty significant pile there we're excited about. Uh, But also students are going to be packing boxes together tonight, this evening, in their circle. And so if you have not come prepared to give, but you want to for Operation Christmas Child, uh, you can go uh, online and fill in an online box or you can visit the Next Steps area at the end in the back there and figure out where, and we'll tell you where their students are gathering and what kind of things that they need for that. Uh, I kind of started to mention online box, but let me just mention that again more specifically. You can pack an online box anytime at all today. Just use the QR code on the screen or at the table in the lobby, and that will get you started. Also today, something we're very excited about is our, uh, we'll be taking our annual One Day to Feed the World offering for Convoy of Hope. And uh, if you don't know Convoy of Hope, we, they partner, uh, we partner with them in the work that they're doing in the United States and around the, uh, the world. And the idea behind One Day to Feed the World is uh, that we're giving a one day's wage to change the everyday of people around the world. Uh, now, you don't have to give the equivalent of one day's wage. Uh, but it is, whatever anyone gives is an amazing opportunity to steward our time and our treasure to bless uh, communities all over the world. Uh, you're going to find a booklet, an envelope on the seat in front, of, or on your seat, excuse me, uh, that are going to help you kind of figure out what that looks like. Uh, and if you choose to participate, that has all the information right inside of there. In fact, here's a video uh, that will help you give some context for our giving today. Why don't you check this out on our screens? Thank you. 
It's amazing, isn't it? Uh, Convoy uh, figures that uh, the average American worker works about 240 days a year. It's incredible to think that just one of those days can transform a family, can transform a community. And as we partner with each other, uh, there's no stopping the local church when it's firing on all cylinders, for sure. Uh, you can put your offering in the box in the back on your way out. Just one note, please make uh, your checks payable to Centerway Church so that we can send one check out to, hun- to Convoy of Hope. And I'll let you know that 100% of your giving goes directly to Convoy. There's no administrative fees for us or anything like that. So uh, if you make that check out to Centerway Church all of those uh, funds will go to Convoy of Hope. Uh, our kids are, ta- are talking about this offering today, and it's going to be amazing to see what our kiddos give. It's, they're so generous, and it's really cool to see them walking in with their little coins and their dollars. It's been really, really cool. What a privilege it is for all of us to be stewarding our finances this way. Now, finally, if you have questions about anything today, if you have feedback, ideas, or you need prayer, the best way to connect with us is through our email, connect at centerwaychurch.com. Now, here's what to expect for the rest of our gathering today. Claude will be communicating from the Bible, and after that, we're going to be responding uh, by worshiping through singing, and we'll be having some communion as well. Can we pray together and just believe that God's hand is going to be all over uh, what we do and what we give today? Heavenly Father, uh, as we conclude the series being built, Lord, we are so thankful, God, that you are building us up, not so that we can look good, Lord God, not that we can be more comfortable in the life that we have, but so that we can be used by you for your glory and for our joy. And today, God, we want to do that in a very tangible way. So, Spirit, would you speak to our hearts even now? about the the time, the talent, the treasure that we can give back to you because you've given it all to us. Be glorified in this gathering and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Eric. Um, Just to be clear, I know he talked about a lot of different things. If if you're not prepared... um, to give uh, today to Convoy of Hope, um, there is a drop-down on our website where you can go ahead and give, or if you want to give electronically, there's a drop-down there designated for Convoy. Uh, I had just a quick kind of commercial before I jump in here. I I had the amazing opportunity. I was selected by Convoy of Hope to, uh, it was about three, maybe four years ago, uh, to go to El Salvador and see firsthand some of their operations and what it is that they uh, do and was at local schools actually serving these kids um, for a majority of them, the only meal they'd have for that day. Um, it was a remarkable experience and incredible uh, compassion ministry uh, that, we're, that we're so excited about and um, really, really a privilege to, to partner with them. Uh, last year we gave well over seven, you guys gave well over $7,000. I think it was near $8,000 to Convoy of Hope. Um, just an amazing blessing. And so um, just excited to continue in that, uh, that pattern of being generous. And uh, it's in line with some of what we're talking about. It's a discipline of spiritual growth and spiritual health. And um, we're continuing uh, in a series today uh, and concluding this series. And sorry, I probably should have started by introducing myself. If you don't know, my name is Claude. I'm the lead pastor here at Centerway. Me and my wife, Meredith, are the lead pastors and just want to welcome you uh, as we continue in the series and conclude uh, with the the first seven chapters of Nehemiah. 
throughout this series, we've been talking about how we're being built by God or being built by God. And if you've missed, you can always catch up on the website. There's no pressure to, but Nehemiah is a narrative, which means it's a story, a biblical story, a biblical narrative about a gentleman who uh, leaves the, uh, the throne room of a king and pursues what God has laid on his heart to go and rebuild a wall around Jerusalem. It's a compelling story, a compelling story of leadership, of obedience. And we're continuing in this journey to see how it is that that in fact we're being built by God. And today's talk is entitled Through Community. So if we kind of put that together, we're being built through community. Community. Uh, we love community um, most times. Maybe some of us are not a huge fan of community because community can get messy, right? Uh, much like you, uh, I've lived in different communities throughout my life. I've lived in different communities that some are just for a season, and then others kind of transcend whatever season I may be in. For me, there are physical housing communities like neighbors, you know, the the community of neighbors that I've done life with in different seasons of my life. Uh, And then that that community then moves on as I go to college, there's a different community formed there. And then I trick a a woman into marrying me (laughs) and then convince her to have children with me. And we we have a whole nother community. uh, But the community continues. Uh, There's sports communities that I've been a part of. There's affinity communities, like things that we have in common, uh, different leagues that I've been a part of, like golf leagues. And there's all these communities and sub-communities of people. And then obviously there's the church community, the church community. And then, of course, all of that kind of culminates and, and circles around this, this community of family that is both my chosen family, the, the woman I would marry, and the, the children that we would decide to have together, but also the family I didn't choose. <laughs> okay. I guess you guys need to really know my family in order to find the humor in that. But um, the, the list goes on. The list goes on of all the different communities that I'm a part of, that you're a part of. And some of those communities you chose and some you didn't, right? At birth, we didn't choose our family. But as we grow older, we choose the people we do life with. We choose our communities and we guard our community. We guard our community as to who it is that we want to open our community up to and who it is that we want to close our community to. And, and some of those things are healthy and some of them are unhealthy, right? But the fact is, we make choices about who we do life with. Sometimes we choose a particular community over a different community. The best and most obvious example of this is when we're moving into the area uh, in 2017, we were moving to this area to, to plant Centerway Church and, and being a part of establishing a community that was gospel-centered, but in the midst of that, we had decisions about the community. Who will be a part of this lead team? Who will we do life with? But on top of that, there was another more pending issue, and that was where will our kids go to school? What are, what's the community in which we want to raise our kids, right? We make these decisions about community that are very obvious and then sometimes aren't very obvious at all, but we're making the decision all the time. Who do we want to influence ourselves? Who do we want to have influence over our children, over our extended family? Because here's the deal. The people we do life with will shape our lives in many ways. So it goes without saying, 
we should choose our communities very carefully. Some of you are like, yeah, why am I in this church today? (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Christian or not. And I know that every week there's a mixture of people, uh, both committed Christ followers, following Jesus all the way to people that are uh, not so sure that there is a God. And wherever you fall on that spectrum, whether you're in the room or joining us online today, as humans, Christian or not, we all know that life is difficult. And the lens with which we process hardship, get this, will be informed in large part by those we choose to do life with. So community is not as simple as, well, these are the people we like. I mean, that's kind of the low-hanging fruit, right? In fact, some of you are part of community groups where there's somebody that not everybody likes. (laughs) They're just part of the group. You're not sure how they got there. You obviously don't want to remove them from the group. Some days you might want to remove them from the group, but, but there's this group of people that you're kind of like, I'm not sure how we kind of formed. If you're sitting there saying, no, I I don't have a group like that, then you might be that person that is not part of it. I'm just just saying, I don't know. It's it's just a possibility. But the the fact is, we, we process not just enjoying time with one another, but actually how it is that we process hardship as we live our lives. The difficulty, the lens in which we look at everything is influenced by those people we do life together with. We know that on a grander scale, but we don't often kind of hit pause to think about the implications of it. Now, if you have kids, you've thought about it. You've thought about it, especially as they get older, especially as they hit teenage years, you're like, I want kids that have a positive, a good Good. That was awesome. You guys are powerful. Positive influence. Influence. I was going there. Influence. So we're talking about influence and some of you are waking up and that's all right. Uh, People laughed and they're like, what? Tree, dog, squirrel. Um, When we talk about our kids, like we're thinking about the influence that their friend, like, is this friend going to be a good influence on them? Is it a positive influence or is it going to be a negative influence? So we think about the community that our kids will grow up in if we, if we have children or even if we have nieces, nephews, grandchildren, like extended family, siblings, we're concerned about who's speaking in to their lives. And the question that I w- want to ask you as we talk about this idea of community and the mess that it involves is this. Why is community often so messy? Why? Why is community often so messy? And I think, honestly, even in asking the question, there's, there's a potential obvious answer. And the obvious answer is that community is often messy because it involves people. Because it involves people. And people are messy at times. The, the mess of our lives, the difficulty of our lives, the pain points, the friction, the issues that we have with one another, the issues that we have even with ourselves, it gets messy at times. There are people that have opinions and motives. I mean, none of us, right? Like (laughs) the other people that are part of the communities that we're a part of. No, as human beings, we have opinions. We have thoughts on things. And, And here's the deal. They're not always bad. They're just different. They're just different. And when different opinions get into a group of people, sometimes sparks fly. 
You add on to the differences that we naturally have, good or bad, and you layer on different things like family of origin, the, 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 things that, the baggage that we bring with the preconceived ideas of the families that we were raised in, and all of a sudden that influences the communities that we're a part of. You lay on top of that different socioeconomic backgrounds and realities, the different ethnicities that we have, different political opinions, right? Different sports teams. Anyway, um, some of you guys are like, do not mention the Dolphins. Not now. It's been a hard week for the Bills. <laughs> I, feel, I feel for you. I feel for you, yeah. So, 1984 was the last time we were in a Super Bowl. So, anyway, uh, I'm allowed to say something every once in a while. But the, the point and the reason why it's laughable is because we're different. We're different. We have different leanings. And so, when we get into communities, we bring that with us. We bring that with us and it gets messy. It gets messy at times. But we choose to do life with others. We choose to. Why? Why is that? What often links us in community with others is typically just one thing that we have in common. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. One of the members of the lead team was talking about how they were down in Florida in an in a entirely different state. <laughs> and uh, as they're walking through Disney World, uh, one of uh, these people coming towards them is a Bills fan. And they're wearing like this Bills outfit and they run into somebody who's like, Bills! And all of a sudden, immediately there's this connection and they're like high-fiving and hugging. And they're like, oh! It's like there's a connection there. They probably disagree on 99% of everything in their lives. But because of a t-shirt, suddenly, bring it in. Bring it in. Come here, buddy. We get each other. We understand. It's remarkable, right? How we can have so many differences, but then all of a sudden when there's a, a shared goal, a shared passion, the clarity we have in one area of our lives links us in community with others despite our differences. Obviously, or maybe not so obvious, the most compelling example of that is the church. The church. In any other context, natural born enemies. I could, I could bring one of you up, just cherry pick you up and just say, hey, just tell me about all the strong opinions you have in your life. And everyone in the room would begin to get furious at you. Because we're different. They'd be like, what? Why are they so close-minded? What is their problem? Oh my good, this is offensive. Right? Because we're different. But when we're in this space, suddenly we have such clarity about the God of the universe, the creator of everything. And we, we gaze into the beauty which is Jesus and suddenly we're standing shoulder to shoulder loving the God of heaven. Otherwise, enemies join together in community on mission. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. There's no, other, there's no other example of how that happens. In fact, when the church was birthed, it was simply unheard of. When the church was, was birthed in, in, the, in the first century, there were, there were actual sects of people that were not allowed to interact with each other. It simply was culturally not permitted. The, uh, the socioeconomic paradigm was very, very clear. If you were here, you were here. You did not speak to people here. 
And the church was the first example of this new community of people gathered together, no matter their differences. And the then known world could not comprehend it. And I want to tell you, thousands of years later, when the church is at its best and we're linking arms and we have clarity of mission, the world still takes notice. They're blown away at how this this group of people that are so incredibly diverse are focused on one thing they both adore or they all adore. The clarity we have links us together. The church is by far the most compelling example. The God idea of the church. So let's look at the community in the narrative of Nehemiah. We look at verse 4. It says this, The city was wide and large, but but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. So if you weren't with us in the previous week, we're kind of picking up with the reality that this wall around Jerusalem has been completed. It's been completed. This community of people had such clarity of mission that they together rebuilt the wall around Jerusalem in just 52 days. A wall that stood in ruins for days decades for centuries just in ruins and in 52 days they rebuild it they've worked hard they've worked hard with personal sacrifice in fact for some of them they've even prioritized the rebuilding of the wall over their own stability financially within their home and we heard about that a couple weeks ago about how they had to actually borrow money in order to make the ends meet like they're just leaning in on the clarity of mission that they have we see here in this verse that They've prioritized rebuilding the wall over rebuilding even generational family homes that are within the city. Why? Why are they doing that? There's some obvious low-hanging fruit. Okay, so at face value, some might say, well, you wouldn't rebuild your home if there's no wall to protect it, right? The common sense of the fact, like, why would we rebuild a home that could then be plundered or destroyed before the wall is repaired? So let's repair the wall first. So there might be the thought that it's in succession. But we learn from today's text that something bigger is taking place here. This community is rooted in something more meaningful and not nearly as self-serving as protecting a personal home or protecting a personal asset. You see, the common goal here that linked these people together was the restoration of a city. It was the restoration of a city. The wall was only step one of a God idea. It was only step one of a God idea. It only began, and and some people might look back and be like, isn't the wall big enough? Isn't that significant enough? But they're realizing it's only the beginning of a restoration plan that God has. If you look a little deeper, if, if you look at scripture holistically, you can see in Zechariah chapter 8 and in Jeremiah chapter 30 that what's taking place right now is actually the fulfillment of prophecies. It's been prophetically communicated that the, that the city of Jerusalem would be repopulated and filled with people. They're walking in the prophetic fulfillment of a God idea. God was at work. God was at work. God's vision for their life was larger than a wall. That'll, that'll preach if you connect some dots there. God's vision for their life was larger than a wall. God was at work and he welcomed them to participate in what he was building. 
He's building something greater. He's at work at a deeper level. You could look back and say, yeah, I can, I can put block upon block. I'm doing the work, but God's like, yeah, you're doing the physical part of a restoration plan that, that I am doing. I want to challenge you to have a larger vision for your one and only life. To not merely think through that you, that you go through the motions of life for the purpose of, of what? Having a good family? Getting a good job? Establishing a stable savings account? All these things that, that are ultimately fleeting. Is it possible? Is it possible that the God of heaven has a bigger plan and a bigger vision for your one only life than to simply put block upon block? He's saying, listen, I want to restore. I'm writing a meta narrative of salvation and redemptive potential in and through this community, in and through your families that will last and ripple in generations and generations of people that you have not met, that you may never meet. I'm doing something eternal in and through you. Don't settle for a lesser version of your one and only life. God says that when you're in your mother's womb, he knit you together. He knew you. He has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. Don't sit back and say, well, it's probably nine to five and then nap. That's probably the goal. The plan here is just, whew, eke it out till retirement and then try to coast as best as I can. Complain why things didn't quite show up the way I wanted to. And then I'm always a part of a community where we can get together and complain. What are we doing? Are you on autopilot? You're one and only life. Don't settle for anything less than what God has for you. That means some of you need to rethink the communities you've linked your life to. Now, here's the deal. I grew up in a church. And in my church, those words would be like, what's the word when something sets you off? Trigger. Those would, those would be triggering words. Like, rethink a community. <gasps> He's telling me I can't hang out with my friends anymore. He's saying people have bad influence on me. <sighs> Church is so hard. Serving God is so hard. Why does, why does God always want me to walk away from all my friends? Like that was the trigger that would happen in my life growing up is the thought that I would have to sever relationships. But I didn't say that. I'm not saying sever relationships. I'm saying rethink. Rethink the communities you've linked your life to. Push pause for a second. Stand back. Think about the people that you're permitting to influence your one and only life. What it is that their priorities are. The advice that they give. The way they speak into your life. The things that you've permitted. Look at, look at how it is that they function. Look at, at your kids if you have them and think, man, where have I positioned them to be influenced by people? You should have two types of communities if you're following Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you should have two different types. I'm not saying just two different communities. I'm not saying like shrink your communities down to two things. No, two types. The first type is a gospel-centered community. The first type of community that you should be connected to is a gospel-centered community, one that challenges you, one that when you get into the space with them, they push against the way you're living your life. They push your perspective into being in line with the gospel. 
We see that even within scripture. And we also see that you don't outpace that. If you look at the New Testament, you see Peter and Paul. And, and uh, Paul powers up on Peter at one point. That's a lot of peas. Holy smokes. He powers up on Peter at one point. <laughs> I don't know why I said it again, but it's kind of fun. He, he does. You know why? Because Peter's prioritizing. What? How many peas is happening? That's crazy. Holy smokes. Anyway, <laughs> I probably should have slept more. But he's prioritizing these, these widows. And he's actually functioning in a form of racism. He's prioritizing the Jewish people over the Gentiles. And Paul calls him out. He's like, dude, you're a racist. Peter's like, no, I'm not. And he's like, really? And why are you prioritizing one people over another? There's no echelon in the kingdom of God. What are you doing? Peter's like, yeah, you're right. And you know what Paul says that's so incredibly impactful? He looks at him and he says, live in line with the gospel. Live in line with the gospel. So none of us are above this. None of us, listen, Peter was an apostle. And he has another dude looking at him and be like, hey, live in line with the gospel. We need to be in a gospel-centered community that challenges us to live in line with the gospel. That when we do this, they go, hey, in line with the gospel. None of us are beyond that. So that's the first type of community that you should have. The second type of community is a community you are influencing with the gospel. That you're functioning according to the way you've been challenged. Those are the two types of communities. That's it. A gospel-centered community, and then the community you're influencing with the gospel. Hopefully, Centerway is your chosen gospel-centered community. I mean, obviously, I'm going to be a little partial there. (laughs) So then the question I have is, where are you influencing others with the gospel? It should be all the other communities you've chosen to be a part of. Your perception, your perspective as a follower of Jesus that's in gospel-centered community is that you live influencing, that you are on mission, that you are there being sent by God to leverage your one and only life to make disciples of Jesus. Listen, if you aren't, if that's not your approach, then that community is influencing you to worship what they worship. It's hard to believe, but it's true. And I'll prove it to you. You're either influencing others or they're influencing you. You are either living on mission or you aren't. And we as humans, we don't like that. I don't like it. I didn't like it as I was writing it down. Because there's some communities that I'm like, but we just hang out. But can't we just hang out? Like, why does everything have to be eternal? I'm like, oh, right, because that's all that matters. It's a choice we make. And I know some of you might be like, Dude, that's intense, man. That's in- Why are you being so intense about that? Just, just calm down. I, I have a golf league, and I'm, I'm not going to go to golf league being like, I'm going to go influence with them with the gospel. Like, I just want to hit the ball and relax. So, you don't think they're trying to influence you to, to worship what they worship? You go there without clarity of mission. 
Just test this out. Next time you, you go to your golf league, show up with a baseball mitt and a baseball. And be like, hey, guys, I was just thinking. <laughs> Instead of playing golf tonight, let's just throw the ball around. You know play baseball? They'll look at you like you are an imbecile. They'll say, that's not what we're here for. And then they'll start to talk about how they've reoriented their life in order to, to provide time and to prioritize this so that they can, they can have fun with each other. And let me tell you, I am not raining on the parade of fun. Don't miss what I'm saying. I, I, I play golf. We have a, a group of people here, men, that play monthly. Once a month throughout the summer, we play golf together. You can sign up if you're interested. So guys that get together and play golf monthly... The question is, are we gathering to simply play a sport or are we living on mission everywhere we're sent? It's, it's a perspective change. Still don't buy it, try this. Show up at your soccer practice with a football. Tell people you're going to do this. No, no, better yet. I've coached soccer team here locally. I can just imagine the joy in parents' eyes if I showed up with a football and said, hey, instead of learning about soccer today, we decided we'd just throw the football around and I'd explain to them football. They would clarify real quick the amount of dollars that they have leveraged for the purpose of their child learning soccer and in fact not football. That's what they've sacrificed for. That's what they're invested in. That's what they're about. Don't influence people apart from what we have clarity on. We can move away from sports if you want. Show up at a business meeting and decide, listen, instead of engaging in the financials from the past quarter, we're going to spend time talking about a recipe I've been working on. It has no connection to what it is that we're talking about today, but we're going to leverage the next two hours about that you'll see it rise up. That's not what we're here for. They'll say things like that. That's not what we're about. That's not what we've gathered with clarity concerning. So what about you? What about you? Do you have clarity? Do you have clarity about influencing others or do you show up and permit others to influence you in those environments? Because that is what is happening. It's a perspective change to say, I will show up at these communities. I will enjoy. I will have fun playing soccer. I will have fun doing these things. But as I go, I will make disciples. It sounds almost like what Jesus challenged us to do. As you are going, what? Make disciples. Live on mission. Are you carrying the mission and vision of Jesus into every sphere of influence that you're in? See, if we continue on in verse 5, it says this, Then my God, this is Nehemiah speaking, put into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first, and I found written in it, and then we see a succession of about 60 verses of just person and person and person. I'm going to actually have a volunteer read those right now. No, I'm just kidding. Why does this matter? How does this connect? God is directing Nehemiah to ensure the city is populated by proven Israelites. Only proven Israelites are allowed to bring this city to restoration. To be clear, this is not racism. 
It's concern over influence. It's concern over influence because there's a track record of them being influenced by others to worship things other than God. That's our track record too, just so you know. (laughs) Because it's real easy to go into these environments and say, listen, I'm going to influence these people for God. And then they say, actually, you know, we're really here to worship this. This is what matters. Oh, well, my group, my group of people, we just, we get together with some friends and, and, and we just hang out and we, we spend some good time together. And then we start just focusing on really wicked things, actually, and really divisive apart from God things. In fact, okay, I get influenced negatively by them often <laughs> because we don't have clarity. We don't have clarity about why we are living our one and only life. God wants them to protect their communities so that they can influence other communities. Spoiler alert, they fail. (laughs) They fail. They have a track record of failing and they continue to fail. Jerusalem is a hot mess and the Israelites are a total disaster. At every turn, they continue to worship the created over the creator. God corrects them and they do it again. So do we. At every turn, we say, "Ah, it's going to be different. And we fall short. So is that it? Like, is that the end of the story? Is it just this cycle that we're destined to be on where now we go to those communities, not really changed, but now just feeling a little more guilty? (laughs) Like, okay, well, I'm still going to go hang out with those people. It's just now I feel bad about it. (laughs) That doesn't change anything. You see, there's a message of hope hidden in this chapter in plain sight. The chapter lists all of these people that are in or out. These people, they have, they have a genealogy, they're allowed in to the city. Those people, they're out. They're not allowed to. It's just a list of in or out. And then the beginning of, of verse 57, and I just wanted to see the beginning of it so I didn't have it projected. Verse 57 It states this, it it starts with the sons of Solomon's servants. Now, if you're not familiar with scripture, specifically Old Testament, that might just fly right over your head. But there's, there's something powerful that's happening in the text, hidden in plain sight. God is saying something extremely profound. The sons of Solomon's servants are not Jewish. They're not Jewish at all. They're non-Israelites that were unlawfully enslaved under King Solomon's rule. You can read about King Solomon in 1 Kings 9 specifically about this topic where he actually takes slaves outside of the will of God. By Jewish law, you weren't allowed to own other people. But King Solomon does that. He enslaves people completely outside of the will of God and influenced by Egypt. Influenced by the Pharaoh, he he begins to take on servants. And so the community he has exposed himself, the king of Israel, divinely appointed by God, gets in the wrong group of people and is influenced to worship other gods. If you think you're beyond that, my friend, you are delusional. We are all struggling with 
idolatry. We're all struggling with the pressure of worshiping other things because our heart is an idol factory. Because of the the depravity of humankind, because of our sinful nature, we will worship anything that brings us a sense of worth. And so, man, if it's money, oh, yeah, how do I get more money? If it's beauty, how do I get more beauty? If I could just trick the world that I'm actually getting younger every year, maybe they'll believe it. What? What are you doing? We will just, we elevate all these things. I'll just, I'll work so hard because if I work hard enough, then I can get the approval of other people. I'll have meaning. I'll have purpose. All these things that we set up and we just run, our heart runs after it. Ten Commandments, they're, they're an example of how we can't do it. And it starts with the first one. If you're like, yeah, listen, I'm, I'm pretty good with the Ten Commandments because I haven't killed anybody. I mean, my, kid, my third came close this week. But I, mean, I haven't killed anybody yet, so I'm doing pretty good. No. The Ten Commandments start with the first one to let you know you can't do the other nine. It says, have no other gods before me. Done. Conversation over. No, because you live your life worshiping other things. With your time, your talent, your treasure, you lean into things that are not the creator. And so we all fail at one, at the number one example. So don't miss what's happening here in the text in case I don't have you depressed enough yet. (laughs) Something unjust happens to these people. They're enslaved. And in the midst of being enslaved, they choose to follow God. As they're in this community of God-worshiping people, they choose to be faithful to God. And they remain in this community for generations. So now their sons are walking in to the walls of Jerusalem that they have assisted in rebuilding of their own volition as freed men now. And Nehemiah says, you know what? Even though you're outsiders, God says because of your faithfulness, you're in. I told you the church was incredible in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, that junk didn't happen. You're not allowed in the city unless you're an Israelite. Something profound is happening here. It's a foreshadowing of the beauty of salvation. You see, because of Jesus, in case you haven't connected the dots, the Jew above all others, the Son of God, and the one, the only one, who would fulfill all ten commandments and live the sinless, perfect life that none of us are capable of, because of his death and his resurrection, we can now be co-heirs and children of God, even though we are slaves of our own choice to the sin of our life. We can be set free. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the implication of the gospel. So if you're sitting there saying, I want in, but I'm not good enough, you don't get it. You don't get it. You're in because you're not good enough. You're in because you've realized that it's only through Jesus, through the person and work of Jesus. And if you're here saying, this is the first I'm hearing of it. I want to tell you, All we have to do because of the person and work of Jesus is to confess our sin and ask Jesus to forgive us. Welcome him to be the Lord and leader of our lives. And we're in. We're in. But, but, 
like the wall, that's only step one. Don't stop there. You see, too much of Christendom says, I'm in. Let's coast. But no, just like the wall, it's only step one, you see, because God doesn't just want you in. He wants to restore you. He wants to build you. He wants to use you to build. He has a bigger plan, an eternal plan, a plan that's been prophetically set in motion, something of fullness, a place where he'll strategically place you out of all the times and space that he could have placed you. It's now, it's here, and he's placed you where? In this place. Why? Because he wants to redeem this region. He wants to restore this city. He wants to do a work that only he can work and he has chosen you in his divine sovereignty he has said i've i've woven you together for this time that you would leverage all of your one and only life to be something eternal that will echo beyond the life that you live now and have implications in eternity for generations don't you see that the gospel doesn't just win us it builds us it grows us if we'll just permit it if we'll permit it in gospel-centered community to, to rub up against our rough edges, to offend us, to step on our toes, to have somebody say, hey, listen, live in line with the gospel. If you get it, if you truly understand it, and the implications are huge in your life, a life lived in line with the gospel has the mission of making disciples of Jesus at the forefront. At the forefront. So, I play baseball because I'm good at it. And maybe I'm good at it in order to influence that community towards Jesus. See that? You still play baseball. You still have fun. I'm not talking about getting out of these communities. No. Leverage it so that you're influencing. Walk into it on mission. Be sent. Listen, I work. Not so that I can make a paycheck, but so that I can influence the marketplace towards Jesus. And the place that I work is a divine appointment where people have proximity to me so that they can see the fingerprints of God's grace in my life. The list goes on. I'm a parent because God's entrusted to me to raise these kids to fear God and to love him. I'm a grandparent because God has strategically placed me in proximity so that I can be an influencer of truth and mercy into their lives. Listen, don't check your brain at the door. There's something eternal in the, hanging in the balance. Don't push away from the table. The stakes are too high. That is a missional community mindset. As Centerway, we have what we call because and therefores. They're kind of like values. But they function in a way that because of this, we live this way. And one is generosity. It goes like this. Because God gave us everything, we value generosity. Therefore, we're open-handed and happily go above and beyond with our time, our talent, and our treasure. We steward our spiritual gifts and serve. We are not, we are contributors, not consumers. One of the biggest epidemics within Christendom as a whole is this consumer mentality that we just come in and we consume. And if we don't have the things we want, then we complain about the things that we want and the things that we need and what we're deserved. Because after all, we pay dues called a tithe and then we get what we want. And that is so filthy. That is so filthy and apart from what the, what the scripture says. Scripture says, no, it is all his. So we own nothing here. We are simply stewards. And if it will make more disciples, then we're in. 
And so therefore we bring all that is his back to him and says, God, what will you do? I'm not, gonna, I'm not here to consume, I'm here to contribute. I'm stewarding that which is yours. Stewardship is an outflow decision in response to the gospel. And these people, if you read this chapter at the end, when they, they realize they're in and they understand the implications, their response is worship. Their response is generosity. It goes through a list of all the, the riches and the treasure that they end up bringing in to the city in order to, to, to leverage what God has called them to do to make an impact for the Lord. One gold piece in this illustration, to give you an idea, is one month's salary of a soldier then known. Okay? So one piece of gold that they talk about is equivalent to one soldier's pay within a month at that time. They bring in 41,000 months of soldier salaries, to put it in perspective. That's 3,416 years of a salary that they bring in. So just for fun, I looked at Go Army just to see what the lowest ranking soldier in today's society would make. An E1 with less than two, ex- two years experience coming into our military, a soldier makes $23,000. Okay? If we just use that as a multiplier to compare modern day dollars, and we multiply that number, roughly what they have brought in just in gold, this doesn't include silver or anything else that they talk about bringing in, just in gold, that's roughly $78,568,000 that they bring in. (laughs) What? What are you talking about? But they come in worshiping and saying, all right, it's all the Lord's. We're, gonna, we're going to give. We're going to be generous. The response was generosity because they wanted to be a part of what God was building. I want to be real clear because some of us have previous experiences within church environments and preconceived ideas and families of origin and all these things that feed into the way we're experiencing community right now. And some of you are hearing, he's going to want our money. He wants our money. I don't want your money. Centerway doesn't want your money. Centerway wants disciples of God that are stewarding their finances and have experienced the generosity of God to the point where they steward their time, their talent, and treasure and give joyfully. I don't want to manipulate anybody. If you don't want to give a single penny, that is between you and the Lord. I promise. I promise. But this is what I want when I'm talking about a text involving generosity is I want to step on your toes. I want you to function in a gospel-centered community where you feel a little bit of the rub. Like, wait, so he's not asking for my money. Am I generous? Do I understand the gospel? Has it influenced the way I deal with everything within my life? This is a kingdom principle. And it's also a worldly principle. Where you spend your money reveals your priorities. That's not rocket science. Where you spend your money reveals what you care about. So I'm saying the same is true with our time and our talent that is part of our because and therefore. So I can't say I love God. I love God. But he doesn't get any of my money. He doesn't have access to that. I mean, I love him. But I really think my money is mine. 
We can't say, I love the Lord. I don't pray. I don't read the Bible. I don't consider really influencing anybody because I just don't have enough time. So I love God. He just can't have my time. I mean, I'm busy in the morning. How could I possibly spend time to pray? How could I possibly spend time to read the word? How, I just can't spend the bandwidth with four hours of Netflix every day. <laughs> All the things that we can prioritize. Listen, I'm, not, I'm stepping on your toes and stomping on mine. <laughs> Because we're in this community together, and I'm challenging us all. Will we live in line with the gospel? Will we look at our treasure? Will we look at our time? How about our talent? God, I love you, but my talent's kind of for me. It's kind of for me. So I I, I can't really find time to to serve. I can't leverage any of, of the bandwidth of my talent because it's also the way that I make income. And so I couldn't possibly be a deficit in kingdom ways. And the the painful reality of it all is that none of us would have time, talent, or treasure if it wasn't for God's grace to begin with. We wouldn't have air in our lungs. We wouldn't have the talent that we have. It's not ours. None of it's ours. And yet we're trying to hold on to it. It's, it's like we just don't get it. It's because we haven't allowed the gospel to transform our lives. And it's something that we don't outpace It's something we have to be reminded of daily. So we say every week, the text requires something of us. And the question I want to ask you, I want to ask all of us, is what will generosity look like in my life? Will you ask that of yourself in this moment? What will generosity look like in my life? I'm not following you around. I'm not checking. I want to welcome you to bow your heads for a second. If you want, you can close your eyes if you don't want to be distracted as the worship team makes their way up. But the reason I want you to do that is for that simple reason, that you would be able to focus your mind. And so if you're going to be distracted by closing your eyes, just look at the ground if you want. But consider a second. What does generosity look like in your life? Maybe generosity looks like actually surrendering your entire life. Because you haven't asked Jesus to be your Lord and leader. And when I mentioned it earlier and I talked about the implications of the gospel, it was new information to you or it was information that finally connected some dots for the first time. And so I want to welcome you. If you'd like to make that decision right now, I'm not going to make you come up or stand up or raise your hand or do anything that might embarrass you or single you out. This is between you and the Lord right now. A decision to be generous with your life. Say, because of what you have done, God, I'm going to give you everything, because it's yours. And so if that's you today and you want to surrender your life to the Lord, it's as simple as praying a prayer. Like I articulated early, it's not specific words that need to be repeated or anything like that. It's simply acknowledging that you are a sinner and that Jesus died on a cross for your sins. Ask him to forgive you and become the Lord and leader of your life. In the quietness of your mind right now, wherever you find yourself, whether you're in this space or online live, you can pray that prayer and it's step One of a journey of restoration that God wants to do in and through you. It's step one. And the journey is going to be remarkable because the potential is endless. When God grabs a hold of your heart and life, suddenly you'll be free like never before. And so if you're praying that prayer for the first time, I'd love to have a conversation with you about next steps. I'll be at the next steps area at the end of the gathering. You can feel free to to come over and, and talk to me if you'd like. 
There'll be other people talking. There's also opportunity at the end of the gathering to, to come up and get prayer. If you want, Eric will be up here to pray with you. If you're here and you say, listen, I've, I've surrendered my life already. Oh, I'm sorry, before I move on, I should acknowledge if, if you're live right now and you've prayed that prayer, we'd love to talk to you about your next steps as well. You can click request prayer. You'll go into a private chat with one of our pastors and they'll talk to you about next steps. If you're watching or listening later on, you can always reach out via our website or email. We'd love to walk alongside you. And for everyone else, if you're wrestling with what will generosity look like in my life, and I want, I want to challenge you. Consider, are you living your life open-handed with your time, your talent, and your treasure? This is for, for your benefit. It's the implications of the gospel. I'm not trying to pressure anybody. The church will be fine. And the reason the church will be fine is because Jesus said it is his church and he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is God's. We're stewards. But I want you to be a part of something eternal. And if you're there and you say, listen, I'm, I'm there. I'm, my time, my talent, treasure, I'm always leaning in. I am a steward. I am functioning as a steward in every area of my life to the best of my ability. Then to you, I want to challenge you. Are you missionally living? Are you walking into every sphere of influence saying, listen, I am being divinely sent to this group. I have these things in common because it's a divine appointment by God. And so I'll leverage, not in, not in some creepy, awkward way, but in a way of influence where you will be present with the truth of the gospel to provide hope to the hopeless, to provide joy in the midst of weeping and suffering, that you'd be an extension of God's hand in every influencing circle he sends you to. I want you to contemplate what generosity will look like as we prepare our hearts and minds for communion as Eric makes his way forward. If you have not gotten an emblem of, of communion, feel free to make your way back to the table and grab one as he comes forward so you can participate with us if you're Claude referenced uh, the Old Testament and some of the events that uh, were different in the Old Testament compared to today. And in the Old Testament, if two people wanted to make a covenant, they would sacrifice a choice animal from their herd and they would cut it into pieces. And then what they would do, they would separate the pieces on the ground uh, and then each person in that covenant would walk through and around those pieces and it seems kind of weird to us today, uh, as it should. But in doing so, what they were saying is essentially, if I don't keep this covenant, if I don't hold up my end of the bargain, may I become like this sacrifice. And because God loved the world so much, he made a covenant with us, too. That even though we've all sinned and fallen short of his glory, he made a way for us to be with him forever. But instead of asking us for a sacrifice to enter into that covenant, he himself became that sacrifice. Jesus became the perfect sacrifice whose body was broken, not because he broke his promise, but because we did. We broke our promise. We were the ones who were disloyal and filled with hatred and all sorts of terrible things, but 
rather than treating us the way our sins deserve, Jesus would go to a cross. And he would allow his body to be broken so that we could be made whole. And God would say, this covenant is now kept. Paul said it this way in Corinthians, for I received from the Lord what I passed down to you, that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he gave thanks for that bread, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Can we partake together this symbol of the Lord's broken body? To confirm the covenant. Thank you so much. That where we deserve to be broken, Jesus said, I'll be broken for you. We thank you, Jesus. After supper, he took the cup. Thank you. And he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever a covenant was made, clearly blood needed to be spilled in order for the sacrifice to seal it. Jesus' blood means that our blood will never have to be spilled as a retribution for our sin. Jesus said to drink the cup in remembrance of him. So let's do that. Let's partake together the symbol of the Lord's shed blood. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that one day soon we'll be feasting with you forever. Uh, Give us the grace today to daily remember that this is our reality. Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus so that we could be whole and be with you forever and ever. Be glorified today in our lives as we commit our lives to you in Jesus' name.
you build us up as we build our life in you.
be clear, like this, uh, this one day offering, uh, this is, this is an offering. It's, it's not a tithe. You know, obviously the, the tithe is something that you've committed to give to the Lord. And, and this is, um, something above and beyond that. It's, a, it's an offering. And in no way should you feel uh, pressure around this. If, if you feel compelled to give above and beyond, then, then we encourage you to do that. Um, but uh, nobody should go into debt to do something like this, okay? I just want to be clear about that. This is about um, us looking at maybe what we have extra and saying, I want to be generous with that. And make no mistake, Centerway, you are, you are generous. And... Um, so humbled to be a part of a community of people like yourself that are generous with your time and your talent and your treasure. So this, this message today is, is, a, is a message to continue to live in line with the gospel, continue to be wrecked by its implications. And, uh, and so if you have extra, we're going to pray over, over this. And um, if, you, if you aren't prepared today, you can give online or uh, you can bring it next week. Uh, we'll wait a week. We usually wake up, wait a week or two as some people continue to give. And then we send one check out and we'll share that number when it comes just so we can celebrate God's faithfulness. So you would put this in the same offering um, box in the back as you typically would, as was already kind of clarified. But if you want to give online, you can. And uh, one of the... The great things about what God is doing in building his church, but it's also a bummer, and this will be the last thing I say, and then we'll pray, because I know we're a little over. I apologize. Um, for the first five years of our existence, we would have the kids come in and kind of march across the front. We would celebrate their giving, and uh, they would drop their bag, and we would all celebrate and stuff. It was really cool. Um, we can't do that logistically this year because we have too many kids. Um, in the, in the kids area and we were figuring out the logistics of it and it's just, it's not safe. It doesn't make a lot of sense. So they're giving in their space. They watched a video. We're going to celebrate their giving. Um, be sure to celebrate with them. They're going to come out pretty excited about what God has done and we're going to share uh, what they gave as well as we. So I just want to let you know, it's a, it's one of those good problems. There's a, God is adding to his number daily, those that are uh, coming into the house. And so, um, I just want to pray with us, seal this, this offering. If you uh, feel compelled to give to Operation Christmas Child, that's another genera, generous opportunity, generosity opportunity. Um, I just want to encourage both of those things. And uh, it's amazing how God orchestrated that to all fall perfectly in line with what we'd be discussing today. And we're excited to begin our Advent series next week. You won't want to miss it, but let's pray together over this offering. Lord, we pray that that our dollars would become eternal dollars. Lord, that it wouldn't be simply a monetary decision, Lord, but that it would be an eternal decision. That we would give to be a part of what it is that you're doing, not only in this community and surrounding region, but also across the world. People that we will never meet on this side of eternity. And yet we get to, to finance those that are, that are present with them to share the truth of the gospel. And the door that would open through the simplicity of the need of a meal to show these compassion ministries. God, that we pray that you would anoint this offering, that you would multiply it, that you would provide provision so that we could give above and beyond. 
And so, Lord, I pray over those that are consistent contributors to Centerway, those that have been faithful in their giving. I pray that you would bless them financially. Lord, that as they have proven to be conduits of your giving, that you would bless them to overflowing, that they would have opportunity to give because of your provision on their life, and that you would continue to leverage their provision for your glory and your honor. Lord, would you open the floodgates of heaven? Would you multiply our time of availability? Would you multiply our talents? Lord, those that are leaning in, that have been shaped by the gospel, that we would function within our giftings in a way that is profound and eternal, that our time would seem multiplied as we, as we lean into times of prayer. Lord, that you would meet us divinely in those moments. God, would you show up? Would you show up? Would you prove that you are at work in and through us? We declare ourselves available. And so today, as we go, I'm sending and I'm commissioning every person of this community that as they go into the other communities, they would be influencers with the truth of the gospel equipped, maybe just for the simplicity of an invitation. Say, would you just come into God's presence with me? Would you come to a Christmas gathering? Lord, whatever it looks like, that we would be influencers on mission for your glory. Would you protect us as we go our separate ways and bring us together safely next week? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can feel free to remain a time. If you want prayer for anything, Eric will be up here, and I'll be at the Next Steps area if you need anything. God bless you as you go. You won't want to miss next week. The Advent series is going to be great. Uh-huh.